coffee this morning, so I'm ready to go, but I've got a little more water with me too. I'm one of the pastors here. There's four pastors, four elders here at New City. We're really excited to have you this morning. Obviously, if you've been here the past couple weeks, I'm making, doing an experiment, preaching down here on the floor amongst the people. Um, so, but uh, I thought I'd do that this morning. Got a tip from a couple guys that it would be good. Um, actually, before I get into the sermon, I want you to do something for me. I want you to stand up one more time, one more time, and turn to the person next to you or around you and say, I am, and then say your name, and this sermon is for you and me. All right. I am Zach, and this sermon is for you and me, just so you know that. Um, If you know me well, which uh, there are a few people who know me pretty well here, if you know me well, you will hear that this sermon is definitely for me, and it's definitely for all of us. If you um, have a Bible, that's great. Open up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have one, there's 10 of them sitting here on the table. We are going to be flipping around a little bit, so I'd encourage you to have a Bible or at least an app open. Uh, you can raise your hand, and maybe Zoe and Ivan will help you get one if you need one. Zoe, we give people that have their hands up a Bible. Thank you. This is Zoe, my youngest daughter. That's Selah, my second oldest daughter. Um, this is Ivan, not my daughter. This is Jennifer. So... I'll just say everyone's name that comes up to get a Bible. First um, Thessalonians, if you have one of these Bibles, I get to tell you the page number, page 848, First Thessalonians 514. If not, it's about there, like if you don't have this Bible. It's, you know, two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. If you get to Timothy, you've gone too far. If you're in Corinthians, you're not there yet. First Thessalonians 514. Before we get into it, I'm going to tell a story so, John, can you throw up that first picture? Uh, yesterday, the Claremont Gospel Community, okay, the Claremont Gospel Community, which, by the way, this church is made up of gospel communities. That's where the life of this church happens. I know a couple gospel communities went down to TJ yesterday. That's exciting. Um, a few of us did this yesterday. So, this is the yard of my co-leader, Daryl, who was playing the magic box there. Uh, This is his neighbor, and we got to help her out yesterday with her yard a little bit. She's a single mom, and uh, I want to tell you a little bit of story about how this went about from my perspective. Now, the story is not about me. The story is never about me, right? The story is not about you. Uh, The story is about Jesus, but from my perspective, here's how this went. Um, So, Marco, who's in the back there, You can come sit up with us, Marco, by the way. Um, Marco, Daryl, Katie, and others have been working hard on a a plan to help out this neighbor, a wonderful plan. It was hard to even get permission, uh, a bit of a recluse, you know, how that can go, um, and just to even get contact and get permission on whether we could work on her yard was hard to come by, but they worked hard at it. Uh, Marco even used SketchUp, which is a Google program that you can just get addicted to really quickly, to draw out this beautiful plan, plants that I think we'll get to do someday, hopefully. This was the first step in it. Um, and I started off the morning with quite a bang, um, literally. Uh, I was mistreating, really. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, right? But it wasn't just the wrong side of the bed. It was my heart was in the wrong place. And I woke up, I mean, I was 
definitely mistreating my wife, my family, uh, not listening well to her. In fact, even um, basically barked at her for the amount of coffee that she took from the French press. You know, the sin against humanity that that is. Um, I basically began the day trying to make the story about me. And then on the way to to go and work on this house at 7.30 in the morning with our gospel community, my wife, the wonderful friend that she has patiently warned me, she really did. I'm not, like, that's not a joke. There are other times where that would be a joke, but it was really with patience that she warned me uh, that this was not the time to mope. This was not the time to hang my head, which I was doing. This was the time to help, to love, and to lead with joy and to work hard at helping someone else who needs some help. So this neighbor we went to help yesterday, by all accounts on her street, was beyond help. Uh, Other neighbors had tried to befriend her, tried to help her, tried to get her to come out of the house once in a while, but some of them had completely written her off, had said some certain things even as we got to, as they're getting to know their neighbors that that were not so kind, um, just because of, of the place she was in and the way her life was going. And so here's a little bit of what we got to do for her yesterday. We have a couple more pictures. That was the yard as we started. And there's another picture. Next one. There we go. There's kind of the after. Wonderful cleanup. Ivy off the walls, which apparently Ivy just like puts nails into the wall and stays there. I didn't get to peel that off, but some people did. Next slide is a little bit of the team. There's Zoe, CJ, uh, and Daryl and Eve. There's me trying my best at the tiller. After we figured out that front wheel is supposed to flip up so that it goes down into the dirt, uh, Matt is supervising well. Steve actually did most of the work on the tiller, so that's just the one shot of me doing it. Um, we actually lost most of our photos from yesterday due to a phone incident, but um, there's the after. So kind of before and after. Wonderful time. Some real, like, Doing what God does in our hearts, taking things that are broken down and restoring them to beauty, taking that first step toward that, um, which sometimes just the step of making it not a mess is a huge step, isn't it? Like we want God to make us like amazing leaders and beautiful inspirational people, but just getting rid of the mess itself is a huge deal that God does, isn't it? And so we got to take the first step with her. We helped out a single mom who has been overwhelmed by life. And it was such a wonderful thing to experience together yesterday. And you know what happened with all the neighbors? They all began to come out while we were working. Literally, they would come out. Uh, One neighbor uh, brought us sandwiches and iced tea and water and more water and more iced tea and fruit. And I don't even know what else she brought. Um, uh, One couple came to help near the end of the day when they got off done working what they were doing. Um, and a few came just to hang out to get some face time with their neighbor and to love on her. It was, it was wonderful and encouraging for all of us, and even for, it encouraged the neighbors to do that. And last night as I was heading to bed, I began to realize that every part of the passage, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, that God put on my heart this week to preach, every part of that passage was lived out in this story yesterday. The verses, the first Thessalonians 5.14, let's read it so you can know what I'm talking about. It says, and we urge you, brothers. I'm going to pause there just for a second. 
The verse just before this is talking to leaders, but this verse, Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, who planted this church in three weeks, by the way, he spent three Sabbaths in Thessalonica and planted an amazing movement of the gospel. So we want some of you to go and do that soon. Hopefully you'll be praying about where you can go and plant churches and join with church plants in three weeks' time, right? Now, we'll give you a little more time than that, um, but Paul planted this church, and he's writing this letter to encourage them and to instruct them. And in this verse, he shifts to saying, this is for you. When, the, when you see the word brothers, it's uh, the word for siblings. It's the family of God. It's all of y'all, right? All of y'all that are part of the church. Uh, this is for you. This is instruction for you. And he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with how many of them? With them all. Yes. Natasha admonished me with patience yesterday. I think everyone was encouraged. Hopefully, even you are being encouraged by that story from yesterday. And we helped this lady, but we also helped the neighbors connect with one another. We helped Daryl and Katie love on their neighbors as, as this neighbor was in a weak place in her life and needed help. So all of this verse got to be lived out in just one day, in one experience for us yesterday, and I love that. You see, I first fell in love with this verse back in, in the 2010. You guys remember back in the 2010, back in the day, 2010? It's like four years ago. Hopefully you remember. My pastor at the time, whose name was Gardner, had uh, put up with, with me a lot. See, I was basically his assistant, so we worked arm in arm together all the time. And he saw something in my life that I still struggle with, but he saw me keep responding to people in different situations with a lack of patience and as though everyone had the same general problem, which if you, if you had to guess, which one of those three do you think I thought everyone had, idle, faint-hearted, or weak? If you know me, it's probably idle, right? Like, I want to admonish you all the time. Shane's shaking his head. You're not supposed to shake your head right now. Uh, yes, see, I still struggle with this. Like, my, my default, some of us, we're all going to be different, right? Some of you may tend to always encourage and never necessarily, like, admonish when admonishment's needed, never help when help is needed. Some of you just want to help the weak, but don't necessarily know the words or how to encourage or admonish. We all tend to different camps, kind of different phases of helping people. And so what did Gardner do? He, like a good brother, admonished me using this verse to slow down, to be patient. And before I go to help someone out of a rut in life to figure out which one of these situations their heart was in, not assume that the person was any of these three from a distance, but to pull close draw near, and help this person do the right thing, either by admonishment, encouragement, or help. Not assume. I know which one it is. And ever since then, although I still struggle against impatience and harshness, this verse comes to mind constantly as we live life together in community. I love this verse. There's a, an image here I have of a guy, a uh, little boy, the image of the boy, um, so this is kid is sitting on a curb. Does anyone know which one of these three he is? No, you can't tell from a distance, can you? This, this kid could be throwing a fit because his mom told him to do something. That would be the idle camp, right? He could be being idle or rebellious is another way to say that. He could be faint-hearted. Maybe he's discouraged because 
you know, all of his friends left him because I don't know what might have happened. Uh, But he could be discouraged. He could be faint-hearted and need encouragement. Or he could be weak. He could be out of breath. He could have, you know, stubbed his toe or something. He could just need help, physical help or some other kind of help. And this is just a metaphor I like to use uh, when thinking about this passage. From a distance, you can't assume you know what someone's struggling with when they're sitting on the sidelines of life. When I'm not doing what I should be doing or could be doing for the glory of God, don't assume you know what's going on in my heart. I may need encouragement, I may need help, or I may need admonishment or a stern correction. And today, that last slide that was up, Law and Gospel, today I want to help you see this passage through this lens of Law and Gospel. I could unpack that all day long, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'll just say that every passage passage can be shown to point to this lens or this pattern. Every passage of Scripture eventually gets us here. The law says what? Do. The law says do this. Don't do this, right? It's a command. And what happens if you just camp out and stay under the law? It will crush you with the weight of it. Because the Bible says if you break even one little letter of God's law, you've broken it all. And if you've broken God's law, you deserve death. So we can't just stay there. There has to be an answer, and that's the gospel. The gospel says Jesus did. Jesus did. The gospel is good news of the person and work of Jesus. So just leave it on that first slide, law and gospel, for now. We'll get to all that later. Um, I just want to explain this. Gospel, and by gospel, I don't mean a general idea. I mean a specific idea that the Bible presents that is the good news of the person and work of Jesus. If you skip over the law straight to gospel all the time, it's, it's really no gospel at all because you're not being saved from anything. You're not really being rescued. It's meant to be good news or rescue news, the gospel. And so the Spirit then empowers freed people, people who have been freed by the gospel, to go and obey with a new heart, a transformed heart. And we're going to unpack that pattern in this one verse today, and I hope you begin to look at the Bible through, through this lens all the time. Any questions on that? Is anybody still confused by that? Law says do, the gospel says Jesus did, and that frees us to obey. Tracking? Okay, that's lots of nods. That's awesome. Let's, the law says do this. Let's look at what this verse says to do. What are the commands in this verse? They're pretty explicit. Another word for commands is the law, yes. (laughs) Maybe you weren't following a law, I don't know. The law, yes. The first thing it says to do is admonish the idol. This isn't a word we use a lot, but the dictionary definition of admonish is warn or reprimand someone sternly. To warn or reprimand sternly. If you were ever a child, you may remember this happening to you as you were younger, but it may not have happened to you recently, or maybe it has, depending on, you know, who you're in relationship with or where you work. The message, uh, paraphrase, says, warn the freeloaders to get a move on. It's another way to put this, admonish the idol, or warn the freeloaders to get a move on. The NIV says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. What we cannot be as people of God is people who fake peace or peace fakers. 
We can't act as though everything's okay when, in fact, someone's about to fall over the proverbial cliff. When they are sinning in such a way that is leading to the destruction of their life, we cannot let that happen. We must warn one another sternly to step back onto the path that God has for us. We must be clear with one another, not mince words, and must point one another not just to general principles of wisdom, but to Scripture, to good news. Admonish one another with Scripture. We must know the Scripture in order to admonish one another well. And we cannot fear one another if we're going to obey this. We must fear God above all, or else we will fail to admonish one another. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you struggle with fear of man sometimes? When you Thank you. Vince raised his hand. Yeah. When we, we're afraid to confront one another because we're afraid of what that person might think of us, we cannot fear one another if we're going to admonish one another. And we cannot shame one another either. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about belittling or speaking in a condescending way to one another, but this is talking about what Paul does. And we see in 1 Corinthians 4.14, if you want to turn there, it's just a few books back towards the front. 1 Corinthians 4.14, Paul talks about admonishing and not ashaming, not shaming. You might want to keep your hand in 1 Thessalonians just because we'll be in that verse. 1 Corinthians 4.14, in his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul says, after basically, if you look up in verse 8 and the passage just before this, Paul gets sarcastic with them. He, he kind of chastises them in a gospel way. I mean, he really does get sarcastic, and that's his way of admonishing. And then he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He has a father's heart towards these people. And he does use hard words at times. Because, as one person has said, hard words can make soft hearts, and sometimes soft words make hard hearts when they're in the wrong place. Sometimes we need to hear hard words. We need a little sarcasm, maybe. We need some stern warnings toward one another. Now, this doesn't just mean you get permission to always be sarcastic and belittling, right? But we need to unpack for one another in, in order to admonish one another what's going wrong, and sometimes that requires hard words that are hard to say and hard to hear. We could go on for days about exactly how to do this and how not to do it, but for today we'll leave it there. You must admonish the idol or people's hearts will become hard and they'll be led astray to death. We must admonish the idol. And we must encourage the faint-hearted is the next command in this passage. To encourage is to give support, confidence, or hope to someone. We must encourage the faint-hearted hearted or the, those who are worn out by life. Who, I mean, that word is so explicit. I know we don't use it, but faint-hearted, it just makes sense. When your heart is faint, you need encouragement, not admonishment, and not necessarily help, right? You just need to hope again. We must lift one another up in hard times. We're not meant to go through life alone and without encouraging words from one another. In fact, this is one of the specific reasons that we get together as a family of gospel communities here on Sunday, is to encourage one another. If you turn to Hebrews, which is towards the back from Thessalonians, just a couple books over, the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, verse 24 to 27, we see that 
there's this call to encourage, and we see why we're told to encourage even. Some warning. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another. Sorry, lost one. To love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging, that's why we gather, one of the reasons, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That means just as it's clear that Jesus is going to come back. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. What the author of Hebrews does there is he ties together a lack of encouragement and people going to a fire of fury, to judgment. If we do not encourage one another, people will not get saved, and they will go on to face judgment before our God. That's how serious encouragement is. None of us want that. So we must encourage one another. And if we do not encourage correctly, but only encourage with flattery, people will not be saved. Next, we've got to help the weak. It says we must help the weak. Sometimes some of us are beyond just a point of being discouraged. Sometimes we have broken bones. I think one of our songs kind of sang about this uh, forget the exact phrase, but it basically pointed to this metaphor of my bones being broken, and, and Jesus does restore us, but sometimes we're in that low place of just feeling broken, without strength, unable to even do anything on our own, and so we need help. We lost a job. We've lost, we don't have the knowledge we need to do what God wants us to do. We don't have the maturity we need to do what we need to do. We don't have the friends to help us. We just don't have the strength in those moments we need help. Not a pep talk, not just an encouraging word, but real and tangible help. And have you been that in place? Not just another encouraging word, but I need some help. Come alongside me, pick me up, help me. For an example of the difference, 1 John is just after Hebrews, a couple books. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. 1 John, page 878 in this, the Bible's from up front here. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says, if anyone has the world's goods, so that's stuff you can help with, right? The world's goods. And sees his brother in need. That's again, that's that brother, sister. Sees someone in need that is tied with them. Yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Talk is cheap when people need help. We all know that, right? That's why that phrase is so popular. Talk is cheap. But are we always really there to help one another in our times of need? Not always. Some of us fail at it. We cannot let the name of Christ be defamed by leaving one another without help. We must help the weak. And fourthly, be patient with them all. As if it weren't enough to have to do these three things, we must do them with patience. By the way, if you're just feeling like this, this sermon is all law, that's kind of the point right now is this is all the law part. 
You're supposed to be feeling the weight of this. I'm going to add just a little more so you see how good the good news is. You know what idle, faint-hearted, and weak people have in common? They'll frustrate you when you try to help them. That's what they have in common. When I'm weak and I need help to pick up, I'm not just going to go about it easily. Like the mule that the gospel community went to TJ yesterday got to take a picture with, I will bite and kick and be stubborn against you as you try to help me and admonish me and encourage me. Like a rebellious sheep, I will bite at you when you try to direct me in the right way. That's why he includes this. Be patient with them all. Because we can all think of ourselves as really good helpers by just like yanking people where they should go instead of doing it with patience. It's always hard. Always hard. It's always patience requiring work to get people out of the ruts in their lives. If we think we're going to help one another, and then all of a sudden we're like, man, I really got to be patient with this person. That's how it's supposed to be. It's never going to be easy. We can't, we can't get, lose our track, you know, kind of get off and get into the rut with the person by being impatient. We must be patient with one another. If it feels easy, you're probably not doing it right. So we must be patient with one another. If not, we'll just make things worse, ruin one another's lives by being impatient. We must be patient. All right, you guys feel the weight of this command? <laughs> yeah? That's the idea. This stuff is hard. How many of you fail at at least one of those occasionally? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand now, you're a liar, and we'll talk about that next week. Um, so there must be an answer with all this weight. God, it, it, we read the Bible, God is one who lifts weights, not just one who puts weights on us, right? He is the one who frees the slaves from Israel. He's the one who sends his son. He is the one who, even when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, provided clothing for them. Our God is a redeeming God, a good news God, a good Lord, a great King. That's why we sang all those songs at the beginning, right? Because he really is all those things we sang about. Every passage that has a command always points to a because Jesus, dot, dot, dot. There is always a because Jesus. Whenever there's a command, there's always a because Jesus. The gospel says he did this. Once again, by the gospel, I mean the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ to usher in his kingdom free the captives, heal the sick, raise the dead, and make all things new. By his atoning death on a cross and his death-defeating resurrection from the dead. That's what I mean by gospel. And as Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes not just those who believe and do good enough. Not those who do good enough. For everyone who believes it is good news. It is the power of God to salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Those who put their hope in Jesus live by faith in the gospel. From day one to the last day as Christians on this planet, we live by faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. 
the gospel says he did this. First, when it comes to admonishing, Jesus is the greatly admonished. Remember Cain? Those of you who are familiar with the Bible, the story of God, Adam and Eve's kid named Cain did what? He killed his brother. And then God came to him patiently and gently, warned him even before he killed his brother, and then came back to him after he killed his brother. And he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out from the ground. What have you done? And he, and he puts the weight of Cain's punishment on him, and what does Cain say to God initially? What's that? Too much. It's more than I can bear. I can't bear your admonishment, Lord. And that's just a foreshadow for all of us in our sin. We cannot bear the admonishment that we deserve. No one who is blemished by sin can stand for even a moment before an all-consuming, perfectly holy, radiant, and powerful God whose glory fills the universe. Everyone from Cain on down to me and you is born into sin and does sin and deserves to be wiped away to be blown from the face of the earth by even just one breath of the creator of the universe by God's admonition. And that's what God's wrath would do to all of us. It would crush us and crumble us and wipe us from existence. But Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to rescue us to take on all the wrath that our sins deserve, every ounce of it, that is good news. And because Jesus took the greatest admonition for my sin, you're free to admonish me all you want because you know what? The worst and the harshest thing that can be said about my sin was nailed to the cross of Christ. You are free to remind me that I've been cleansed, and I'm free to remind you that you've been cleansed and no longer need to walk in wickedness, because that's what true gospel admonition does. It reminds one another, you've been cleansed from those sins. You don't need to walk in that way anymore. You're free from that. Maybe we should just start all our admonition of one another with that. I want to talk to you about something that Jesus already paid for, and then give person 10 minutes to catch their breath. Because you know they're going to talk to you about something hard. Just to up a few verses from our verse in 1 Thessalonians is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10. Paul mentions this. He says, For God has not destined us, meaning those who place their faith in Christ, for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Jesus is the greatly admonished one. He took the wrath of God, the harshness of God on himself for our sins by God's love for the sake of God's glory. That was God's plan, God the Father's plan to send Jesus to do that. Secondly, Jesus is the great encourager. Jesus 
is the great encourager. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, speaking of Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And 2 Thessalonians, so Paul's other letter to the church in Thessalonica, verses 16 and 17, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17, in the NIV, which is not the translation these are, but fits better with my outline, the NIV. Um, it says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement. What an awesome phrase that is, isn't it? Eternal encouragement. How many of you want that? Eternal encouragement. God has given us eternal encouragement in Christ through, by grace and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. This is kind of a prayer. He's saying, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The Bible says that faith, or being encouraged by the Scriptures, believing them more fully, comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. And so I want you to, to just hear right now some eternal encouragements that you get in Christ. We, we sang a bunch about the, the things that Jesus gives us, the, the gifts that he showers on us. That was, I think, the last or second to last song was all about what we get in Christ, and I want to list out a bunch of those for you right now. And I want to say, too, if you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, if you're not sure whether you're a Christian, this is what you get when you do that. And you're invited even right now as I read these, maybe, to place your faith in Christ, and just by believing, you receive all these good things. By believing, meaning reorienting your life in a way that says, I am yours, Jesus. Take me, mold me, transform me, and free me from the law. So you can close your eyes, you can do whatever, and just listen to these. And by the way, I think right about now, my Twitter account is sending these out as a, a, link to an, a link to an article where I found this list, okay? So you can find that, or Facebook. Since you are in Christ, by the grace of God, you have been, made, you have been justified, completely forgiven and made righteous. You died with Christ and died to the power of sin's rule over your life. You are free forever from condemnation. I know some of you need to hear these things right now, so please do not harden your heart against these truths. You have been placed into Christ by God's doing. You have received the Spirit of God into your life that you might know the things freely given to you by God. You have been given the mind of Christ. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to God you have been established, anointed, and sealed by God in Christ, and you have been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge, guaranteeing your inheritance to come. Since you have died, you no longer live for yourself but for Christ. You have been made righteous. 
You have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. The life you are now living is Christ's life. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and are without blame before him. You were predestined, determined by God to be adopted as God's son. You have been redeemed and forgiven, and you are a recipient of his lavish grace. You have been made alive together with Christ. You have been raised up and seated with Christ in heaven. You have direct access to God through the Spirit. You may approach God with boldness, freedom, and confidence. You have been rescued from the domain of Satan's rule and transferred to the kingdom of Christ. You have been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. The debt against you has been canceled. Christ himself is in you. You are firmly rooted in Christ and are now being built in him. You have been spiritually circumcised. You have been made complete in Christ. You have been buried, raised, and made alive with Christ. You died with Christ, and you have been raised up with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ is now your life. You have been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Or as Trevor's song says, it's a dove that makes me bulletproof. You have been saved and set apart according to God's doing. Because you are sanctified and are one with the sanctifier, he is not ashamed to call you brother. You have the right to come boldly before the throne of God to find mercy and grace in time of need. And you have been given exceedingly great and precious promises by God, by which you are a partaker of God's divine nature. As the author of the article where I found these says, isn't this cause for confidence? This is not self-help. This is God-help. This is not self-esteem because none of these affirmations can come from self None can be accomplished through pulling up of bootstraps or the turning over of new leaves. These statements and many more found in scriptures are God esteem because they are what God does for us and what God says about us. Those are eternal encouragements that are completely yours in Christ whether you feel like it or not. And that's the depth at which I want us all to learn to encourage one another because as we draw near to Christ, that's how He encourages us in our hearts. Not because we can try harder, but because we've been encouraged by the encourager, Jesus Christ. And also, Jesus is our great helper. I just covered over 30 ways Jesus is our great helper, which is as an encouragement. He's our salvation. He's the one who will get us out of the impossible ruts of sin and death. 
How many of you are familiar with Psalm 23? 23rd Psalm? Pretty familiar with that one? The Lord is my shepherd, that Psalm? We're going to pray that together in just a minute, actually. But Jesus did not leave us alone, and that's what that Psalm talks about. He sent his Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us, to encourage us internally and through one another. The Spirit of Christ is in you, Christians. And he is your present help in time of need. Jesus is the great helper. And Jesus is patient with us all. Amen? None of us can come to Jesus on our own. None of us did come to Jesus by our own strength. Because, like I mentioned earlier, we're all born into sin and death, and the dead cannot raise themselves. But in our death, Jesus pursued us, and he called us to life. He pursues us in our lostness, in our rebellion against him. No matter how far you've run from him, he does and is pursuing you. He patiently pursues us to to gift us initially with with right standing before God or justification. And he continues to patiently love, to pour out grace to us as we stubbornly go back to the sins we've been freed from again and again and again. Anyone else have that problem? You've been freed. You know you're saved from a sin, but you return to it. As a dog returns to his vomit, you go back to it. And lap it up again and again, right? But Jesus patiently comes to us and calls us away from that. Sorry, that was a biblical metaphor. I didn't just make that up. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And he will be at work loving us with grace until the day we die. And then he won't need to be patient with us because we'll be made perfect What good news it is for me and my soul that someone, the one, is patient with me. Because I can be pretty unruly. My faint-heartedness can be overwhelming, not just for me, but even for those around me. My weakness is more and more visible to me every day. So Jesus... I praise you for your patience with me. Let's worship Jesus together by by praying Psalm 23 together in response to this good news that Jesus doesn't leave us, that he is our good shepherd. You can open it up in your Bibles. It's going to be on the screen as well. Let's pray this out loud together. You ready? Ready Ready-ish? Is it up there? Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the help that we have. And because we have that help, because we have the Spirit, we are freed to not do these things that we're called to do just under the weight of the law. But because we have a Spirit, we are freed to admonish with fruit of the Spirit. We don't just admonish by trying harder, but we are filled with God's Spirit, so we are freed and filled with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. That's how we are freed to admonish one another, by the power of the Spirit, because love truly growing in our hearts, not because we can just force it out. You can't just grab a fruit tree, right, and just like demand that it produce fruit. It only happens by God's work internally growing that fruit out of us. That's good news that we don't have to just force it. We can encourage, as I, as I listed all those things, we can encourage with eternal encouragement or with hope we can encourage one another. It's not enough just to say, be encouraged. Your shoes are pretty, right? We, we need internal, eternal encouragement when, when all else has failed, when your shoes aren't pretty, right? When you've lost your job, when nothing else is working out, you need eternal encouragement that is full of hope. When you've lost a loved one and you have no idea why that happened. When your relationships are broken. When there's tension between one another that seems insurmountable. You need eternal encouragement that says, Christ is at work within you. Press on. So we encourage with hope by the Spirit. And we help with endurance that no one else has. We have the endurance of God himself within us. So we can help with God's power, God's strength, and God's endurance. And lastly, we can be patient. Not just because we're good at being patient. And we've figured out a trick to be patient and count to five. But because heart change is ultimately and always the Spirit's work. And that's what we've been talking about this whole time is heart change. Not just situation change, but helping one another's hearts change. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't change me. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I can't change you. And that's good news. Because if it was up to us, that change would hurt a lot more than it does from God. He is always gentle, always kind, always perfectly knows our hearts. So he's the one that changes us. That's how why we can be patient. So when we're not being patient with God's heart change in one another, who are we ultimately not being patient with? God, even. We're saying, God, your timing in changing this person's heart is off. Which isn't true, ever. God's timing is never off. Now, one friend put it recently. He said, God is never late. But he's rarely, rarely early with providing what we want. But God's timing is perfect. He knows the pace at which someone's heart needs to change, can change, and will change. So we can be patient with him as we beg and plead with him to change hearts in ourselves and in one another. As we do speak boldly to one another, God uses the gospel. Remember, the gospel is the power of God to salvation or the power of God to heart change and transformation. 
So it's not without us. He calls us to work in these ways in one another's lives, but it's Him who causes the actual heart change. And that's good news. I may have gone long, but I'm going to end there. Thank you guys for listening, putting up with me. Again, I love this passage, and I, I, you can pray for me that I'll actually believe it more and more. And uh, I think as we, the people of God, obey this passage, not by trying harder, but by relying on the Spirit because of the good news of Jesus, we will become a people who are truly encouraging, truly helpful, and truly being transformed into the image of Christ. And through that, we will be a witness to this world, to people who are hurting and lost and need good news. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of instruction. This, uh, this cup and this bread here, uh, for us as Christians, Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you, and this is my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we do this, he said, he said to do this, to take this symbolic meal together as a remembrance of his body and his blood broken and poured out for us. And so we do this each week as a community. I'm going to invite you to come up and you just take a piece.